Good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys today. Today's our final part in this series. We begin a new series next week. I'll talk about it in a few minutes. Today is part four, but more specifically, it's part two of part three. Uh, if you're with us a couple of weeks ago for part three, I talked about the value of slowing down, being healed from what we refer to as hurry sickness and success syndrome. What we said reverberated within many of you. I got some good feedback, some texting, some conversations going with people who really needed the message, who had some additional questions about it. So today we're going to go a little deeper into that idea. It's something each of us need to apply better. So today is part two of part three, but we'll call it part four. Okay? That makes sense, right? As a kid and young teenager, Sundays were bittersweet for me. I awaken most Sunday mornings to the sounds of either Southern Gospel music or Christian TV after a quick bowl of cornflakes with lots of sugar. I would put on an itchy shirt, a crooked tie, and squeeze into tight pants, probably from all the sugar on my cornflakes. And off to church we'd go. I'd sit through Sunday school classes, doodle through church services, and then I'd wait for my parents to finish talking. And after they talked with all the people in the lobby, I'd slide in the back seat of our beat-up used car, and we'd drive to a local family restaurant. My family uh, parents gave me a limit of $5 on Sunday lunches. But of course, back then, $5 got you a pretty good meal. Sunday afternoons weren't much different. We'd come home, lay around, listen to gospel music, watch more Christian TV, and then we'd get ready for church in the evening. I did that for years. My, my stepfather discouraged us from doing much of anything on Sundays. He didn't resist, but he didn't like people coming over on Sunday afternoons. He preferred we not go anywhere after church other than to his favorite restaurant. He would nap and wanted us to lay around the house and not do too much. Why? Well, he said it was the Lord's Day. That's what he told me. That, that's how he explained it. And on the Lord's Day, we were supposed to rest. Something about Sabbath. Now, if you know anything about the Enneagram, then you know what I mean when I say I'm a five. I'm an inquisitive, questioning kind of person. I, you know, an answer is not sufficient for me unless I understand it. Because I said so, that is the worst possible answer to give to someone like me, followed only by, I don't know why we just do. I, I need to know why something is the way it is before I can buy into it. And I never received a good answer as to why it was important for us to rest on the Lord's Day. First, I wasn't tired. You know, I was 13, I had lots of energy, I was 10, I was ready to go ride my bike and play with my friends. Second, why does God need to rest? I mean, isn't he almighty? I didn't even think he slept. Why in the world would he need to rest? So don't tell me that I had to rest because God did. That just did not compute. By the way, why, why would God, who made all the stars and oceans and sugar for my cornflakes, want us to be bored all day on Sunday? I mean, wasn't it enough that I sat through a dreary church service? Do I also have to give up my entire afternoon to boredom? I mean, come on. Well, I put up with our family Sabbath preferences. I was a good kid. I didn't understand it. It seemed like a waste of time and energy, but obviously there were reasons I didn't understand. Let's press fast forward on my life, all right? I finished high school, moved south, married Lana. Together we raised three kids while leading 
a growing church, preached four services every weekend for years, led hundreds of people on outreach trips to other countries, finished a graduate degree, managed anxiety and panic attacks, built a new building you're sitting in now, began taking medication for panic attacks, endured a pandemic, watched people I loved and served and called friends walk away, learned to be a grandfather, figuring out what it means to love Lana now more than ever, started another graduate degree, and thinking about what's next. And after all these years and all these experiences, you know what I am? Tired. And you know what I need? Rest. I I don't mean a day off or a weekend getaway. I'm not talking about a day at the beach or a trip to the mountains. I'm talking about rest. Intense rest. A deep unplugging of the soul, if you will. See, what I know today that I didn't know as a kid and a teenager, what no one took time to explain to me in my inquisitive mind was why the Lord's Day, why a Sabbath matters. What I understand now that I so wish I understood then is how Sabbath is a life-giving, anxiety-crushing, love-producing soul-resting opportunity and how to begin. I wish I knew that then. Oh, how I wish somebody would have set me down and helped me understand the importance of a rhythm of Sabbath in my life. But I didn't think I needed it then, but I did. And in the middle of all the church services and Southern gospel music and seminary classes and getting married and having kids and building a church and leading a staff, and I needed to learn what it meant to pull away from all of it, to shut it all down and collect myself and rest my soul and my mind and my heart and learn the value of doing nothing, of producing nothing of consuming nothing and realizing that it's in the nothing I find everything. The person you see in front of you today is not the same person I was five years ago. I'm different. I define friendships differently. I've let go of a huge passion to build a growing church. My family means more to me than ever. I have redefined success. I walk slower, I talk slower, I think deeper, I read wider. I have a growing distaste for social media. I have a highly sensitive BS detector today. I think a lot of what churches do is a waste of time. I think a lot of Christians are silly. I could give you more, but it's not about me. So so what happened over the last five years? A lot happened. But the most significant occurrence, I was forced to slow down. A grandson, my first grandson was born. Our son got married. Our church stopped meeting for seven months. We had a few staff changes. I had another grandson born. My youngest daughter got married. We had two more grandsons. I spent a lot of time alone, quiet, thinking. You know what happens when you slow down and get quiet? Your mind, heart, and body catch up with each other. 
See, I lived a long time with all three of those out of sync. And sometimes we were so out of sync, we're little more than fractions of ourselves running around. You know what else happens? The voices that we've drowned out with busyness become louder. And we start to hear them. The third thing that happens when we slow down is the monsters that we've been outrunning catch up. You see, I'm convinced in North America especially, we stay busy so we don't have to get into sync, so we don't have to hear the voices, and so we don't have to sit with the monsters because we're scared of them. Our past catches up. Our present problems become very apparent. Our future fears begin to sit on our lap. Slowing down, sitting quietly, being alone. That's some scary stuff, isn't it? It was Blaise Pascal who said all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It's deeper than what you think it is if you just read it and reflect on it. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Because we can't do that, we're unhealthy, and because we're unhealthy, our world's unhealthy. Here's what I know. The speed at which we are living is slowly eating away our mental, physical, and spiritual health. Our pace and calendar and social media and phones and computers and Netflix accounts are preventing us from enjoying the benefits of unhurried, intentional, and reflective lives. Wouldn't you agree? Nothing worth having arrives in a hurry. If you were with us a few weeks ago, I mentioned this quickly, but here's a little expanded list. Think about this. Food, you can either have it fast or good, rarely both. Music, you can't enjoy a song in a hurry. Conversations, the best conversations are slow and leisurely. Retirement, you can't rush retirement. It requires years of hard work. Adult children, you can't make your kids hurry up and grow up, and why would you want to do that anyway? A movie, Imagine trying to fast forward through a great movie. You can't love in a hurry. Love requires time and investment. You can't get to know your spouse or your kids or your friends in a hurry. Relationships require large amounts of time, but we are in a hurry. We are noisy and we are distracted. Some of you will love this in a scientific sort of way, but it stings. One national survey found 62%, that's more than six out of 10 kids, 62% of school-age kids said that their parents are too distracted when they try to talk to them. The top parent distraction, according to the kids, cell phones. Researchers found when parents' cell phones were out and about, their primary engagement was on the device, not the child. Each swipe and type means less talking with your kids and scores of missed relationship-building opportunities. In another study, young children wore recording devices for several months. Many <laughs> of you parents would love your kids to wear recording devices in your home for several months. No. Researchers analyzed home sounds and found that television curtailed parent-kid interactions. For each hour of audible background television, 500 to 1,000 fewer adult words were spoken and heard by the kids. 30% of households admit to leaving their television on even when no one's watching it just to create background noise, exposing young children to 232 minutes of background television on a typical day. 
Those minutes add up to grave implications for learning language, emotional literacy, social development, as well as for engaging face-to-face family interactions. And what's the result of all this time spent on social media? Dr. Susan David writes, social media presents itself as a tool for human connection, but for many of us, it's an engine of self-doubt. Watch this. The lives, when you're on social media and you're on all the different things and you're watching everybody else's lives, which is just a a peering into almost a voyeur voyeur kind of way of looking at everybody else's lives, the lives that flash across our phones and computer screen frequently look so much more enticing than the ones we live every day. Consciously, we know that these things are curated, but we still think somehow that the way these people are living is the way I ought to be living. She continues, people disproportionately post about the high points of their lives, the promotions and milestones and trips abroad, and tend to leave out the mundane aspects of their daily grind. Nevertheless, she says, it's hard not to feel jealous as your feed endlessly refreshes with other people's happy pictures and the thrilling news. The research is clear. Too much social media is bad for your mental health. You don't have to tell me that. I see it every day. Our community is filled with people whose mental, emotional, and spiritual health are eroding. Their relationships rotting, their bodies and souls separating, and they look for cheap thrills. And as harsh as this might sound, I fear it's true. So many of us wouldn't know God's voice if he thundered. We've never developed an ear for it. We're too busy. We're living at a pace we cannot manage. Why? Several reasons. Let me, let me give you a biological reason that I'm going to jump into the, some spiritual solution here. Our brains. Our, our, our pace of living has rewired our brains, literally rewired it. We've carved neural pathways in our brains and built lifestyles around those neural pathways, and it's killing us. Let me explain. New new experiences, whenever you have a new experience, you create new neural pathways, and these new pathways in your brain become strengthened through repetition and deepened through attention. Basically, the more we do something, the more we train our brain to change, evolve, morph around whatever it is we're doing to make doing it easier, faster, more efficient. Each time we repeat a particular experience, it becomes more ingrained within us. Eventually, it becomes automatic. We don't even think about it anymore. We don't even question it. We just do it. That's why some of us can't go to sleep unless we scroll social media. We've developed a habit. We've created neural pathways. We have to check out what's going on. We feel anxious if we don't. We have to do this. We have to do that because we've created these channels. We've done it for so long, repeated it so many times, we don't even realize it's become automatic. So we live loud lives, busy lives, hurried lives, and we think it's okay. It's not okay. Just because lots of people do something doesn't mean it's okay. I think if we went around this room and said, hey, give me something that's probably not good, but a lot of people do it. I think we could probably come up with a long list. Just because lots of people do it, just because something's popular, doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Popular is is rarely okay. We're not designed to live at the speed of hurry, and it's slowly killing us. Next week, we're going to be in a series, kind of deep dive into this called Turn It Off. 
learning to quiet the noise in your head? How do you get those voices out? How do you stop the screaming inside? How do you change the voices of your past? How do you change the voices of your future? How do you change the voices of your family? Yeah, you can look at your husband now and go, I'm finally going to shut you off beginning next week, right? So what's the answer, Scott? What do we do? Where do we go from here? Listen carefully to me, all right? I hope, hopefully I can explain this well. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're part of God's kingdom, you consider yourself part of it, you're not to live like the way that I just described. You are not to take part of a system slowly, methodically, systematically destroying your peace, your joy, your relationships, your mind, your family, your life. That doesn't mean you can't have cell phones or social media presence or watch movies. That's not what I'm talking about. As adults, we have to figure out how to put all those things together and balance all of that out. But too many of us consider ourselves a follower of Jesus, part of God's kingdom, and yet we just live like we're no different than anybody else. We're just consumed with everything else around us. As a follower of Christ, we ought to be different than that. Have a different goal, a different direction, a different way that we live. Everything that I've described so far is part of the kingdom of this earth, this temporal, rotting, slowly spinning out of control kingdom of the world. Let me, let me give you, let me, hopefully this will explain it better. When the disciples asked Jesus, one day they came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Because we notice that the way you pray is so different than many of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. How you pray is very interesting. Will you teach us how to pray? And out of that question is what has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Notice this one translation says it this way. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. The question we need to ask is, how is it done in heaven? Because if we're supposed to have on this earth the way it is in heaven, a great question is, well, how is it in heaven? How is it in heaven? Now, when you think of heaven, don't think of it as some distant off planet somewhere. That's a weird way of looking at heaven. When Jesus says heaven, he's actually talking about God's presence in your presence. We want in our presence the same as it is in your presence. We want to live here like you're living in God's presence. It's a, it's a present thing. It's God's presence where God is. We want it to be in our lives as it is in God's life, the presence coming together. So what's God's presence like? Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in essence, Jesus is actually praying, Father, may there be joys and pleasures on this earth as there are joys and pleasures in your presence. May we experience the joys and the pleasures that you experience in your presence. We want it to all come together. So let me give you two big ideas here. Number one, Sabbath as rest. A little glimpse of what it's like in God's presence is found in Genesis. After God finishes creating the universe and all its inhabitants, ever how he brought it to be, at the end of this miraculous process of bringing all things into existence, including humans, we are told something very interesting about God. It says, God rested. 
Watch this. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. God rested. He didn't begin another project. He didn't say, okay, that was 1.0. Let's get busy making 2.0. He didn't fill up more time with more things. You know what he did? He looked at everything he created and he said, it is good. And he rested. Not because God was tired. He's not resting because he's tired. God doesn't get tired. He is resting not because of what he needed. He rested because of who he is. He is rest. He rested to what? Admire what he created, to enjoy what he created, to celebrate what he created, to revel in his creation. At the very beginning of it all, God established the wisdom of rest, and he called that rest a Sabbath. The word Sabbath literally comes from the Hebrew, and it means to stop, to cease, to rest. That's what the word Sabbath means. The Sabbath is simply a day, a time, a period in your life on a consistent basis where we stop, we cease working, we stop wanting, we stop worrying, we just stop. And you know what we do? We admire what we have. We thank God for what we have. We appreciate what we have. We rest from trying to get more and we sit in front of what we have and say, God, thank you. What I have is enough. Thank you for giving it to me. That's Sabbath. We stop to think. We stop to admire. We stop to enjoy. We stop to celebrate. We stop to realize that what is in front of you is more than enough. That's a Sabbath. And God wanted us to establish a period every single week, a time every single week. Work, 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 stop. Appreciate what you have. Work, 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 stop. And thank me for all the things that you have. Work, 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 stop. You don't need to consume anymore. And it had to be part of our daily life, our weekly life. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I stop, Scott. I stop at night when I sleep. I stop when I watch TV shows. I stop when I go on vacation. I stop at a lot of points in my life. Sabbath is more than stopping for a day or even a couple days. Sabbath is a way of being in the world. It's a way of thinking about everything. It's a spirit of restfulness that comes from abiding, from living in the Father's loving presence all week long. Sabbath is soul, mind, and heart rest. You can have a Sabbath moment when you're driving down the road. You can have a Sabbath moment before you go to work every day. You can have a Sabbath moment as you come into a church service like this. You can have a Sabbath moment with your children at night. You can have a Sabbath moment around the dinner table. You can have a Sabbath moment on a Saturday morning or a Monday afternoon. 
You can have a Sabbath day where you take the entire day and say, that's it. I'm not working anymore. I'm not collecting anymore. I'm not hoarding anymore. I'm not saving anymore. I am just going to enjoy what I already have. I'm going to laugh with my children, have a wonderful time with my spouse or my friends. I am just going to celebrate what I already have. I don't need any more to be happy. I have more than enough. Thank you, God, for the resources you've given me. Thank you for everything that I have collected. Today is not a day of consuming and collecting and hoarding today is a day of thanking, a day of celebration, a day of pausing and saying, look at all that I, isn't this very good? That's a Sabbath. So how are you doing with that? See, I hate your questions, Scott. I just hate them. <laughs> how are you doing with that? John Mark uh, Comer in his book, that has a lot to do with slowing down and getting rid of hurry. He provides a frame for us to place ourselves within one or the other, one group or the other. He calls one group the restfulness group and one group the relentlessness group. Either you're resting or you're relentlessly pursuing more. You gotta ask yourself a question, which group do you fit in? Here's how he defines these two groups. The restfulness group, their lives will be marked by things such as margin, slowness, quietness, deep relationships, time alone, delight. The relentless group, their lives are marked by busyness, hurry, noise, isolation, crowds, distraction. He goes on, restfulness would be enjoyment, clarity, gratitude, contentment, trust, and love, relentlessness, envy, confusion, greed, discontentment, worry, anger, angst. The last two, joy, peace, or melancholy, sadness, and anxiety. Now, you can see on these that they're the opposites. So the restfulness group is margin, relentlessness, busyness. Slowness, hurry. Quietness, noise. Deep relationships, isolation. You can figure that out on your own. He goes through all of those. So here's the question. Which group do you fit in? Which one describes your life more? Now, if it's the second list, and this is really important you get this, okay? Really important. This, this, this stung. Say, great. I don't think I want anything else to sting me. This, this stung. If you're in the second group, know this. You will not drift from the second one to the first one automatically. It won't happen. In fact, let's, let's go back and look at this. All right, let's say that you are a person who is filled with greed. The third one down. You're filled with greed. You're just never enough. You will not automatically drift from being greedy to being happy, I mean, uh, gratitude. That won't be an automatic thing. You won't move from worry to trust automatically. You don't move from anger to love automatically. You don't move from busyness to margin automatically. You don't move from hurry to slowness, noise to quiet. Those things do not happen just automatically. Don't work that way. You will not drift toward gratitude. You will not drift toward time alone. You will not drift toward joy. There is intentionality to Sabbath keeping. That's why God made it a law. You know why? Because if he didn't make it a law, we wouldn't do it. So he said every seventh day, 
Make that a Sabbath. You are to keep that holy. You know why? Because human nature says, hey, if I made a lot of good money on the fourth day, then I can make more money on the fifth day, and I can even make more money on the sixth day, and guess what? I can make even more money on the seventh day. Why stop? I can collect and collect and collect. God knew something we don't. The more we consume and consume and hoard and save and keep, the more our souls are rotting away on the inside. So God says, the only way that I know to get you out of that is to insert a Sabbath every seventh day. Work all you want for six days, but you've got to stop because he knows something about us that we don't know. We will keep consuming and keep eating and keep collecting until we blow up. We've got to have some time to stop. It's why he commanded, remember the Sabbath day, and treat it as what? Holy Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it. It was a rhythm he was creating. One interesting thing, I got to tell you this, this, I mentioned this in the first service and kind of added it in. If you go back and study the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, God fed them with manna. Every day they went to collect manna. It's where we get in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. That comes from the concept, the idea of the manna that God provided for the children of Israel where they were in the wilderness. Every day they would go out and collect manna. They would collect this bread that God made rain down, literally rain down from heaven. And the Israelites would go out and they would collect this bread. They would take it back and they would eat it. Now here's what's interesting. Every single day they had to go out and collect manna. Well, someone come up with an idea. Why should I go out every single day and collect manna? I can just collect two or three days at one time, and then I don't have to go out the next two or three days. Guess what happened to all the extra manna that they collected? It spoiled. Because God did not want them to hoard. He wanted them every single day to depend on him and get enough for that day. Give us today our daily bread. But here's the interesting thing. The day before the Sabbath, God told them they could go collect two days' worth. So they would go on the, the day before the Sabbath, and they would collect enough for that day and the Sabbath day. And guess what happened to that bread? It stayed fresh. It's a lesson. It's a lesson. Just take what you need, enjoy what you need, and always, always, always have moments in your life where you stop working and you celebrate what you have. And you thank God for it. Then go back to work. God isn't opposed to work. He isn't opposed to you earning. He isn't opposed to prosperity. He isn't opposed to you having a nice home, a nice car. He isn't opposed to any of those things. He is opposed to us hoarding and keeping and hoarding and keeping and working ourselves into a fervor to where our marriages fall apart, our friendships fall apart, our minds fall apart, our bodies fall apart, our souls fall apart, and we get to the end of our life and we've got a kingdom that we've built, but it is rotting from the inside out. That's what he's supposed to. And that all comes because he loves you. And he wants to teach us how to live a long and prosperous and healthy life. That's what it's about. God commanded it because we naturally gravitate toward more, 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 more. 24-7 is a new standard 
God commanded it because we slowly wrap our worth around our production. We wrap our worth around our consumption. We wrap our identity around how much we work, how much we produce, how much we consume. God says, no. Observe the Sabbath. Stop working. Stop producing. Stop consuming. Stop being a victim of the earth system of more, more, more. Last one. This is just very quick. It's not long at all. Not only Sabbath has rest, but Sabbath has resistance. You see, the entire world system screams at us to do more, be more, try harder, be consistent, but consistent Sabbath breaks the grip of that system. So when you take a Sabbath, you're actually resisting the world system. And you're saying, no, no more. I'm not falling prey to that. Walter Brueggemann, he writes about the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, I love this, you don't have to do more, you don't have to sell more, you don't have to control more, you don't have to know more, you don't have to have your kids in ballet and soccer more, you don't have to be younger, you don't have to be more beautiful, you don't have to score more, you just have to be. That's Sabbath. Sabbath is an intentional move away from coercion and competition and a move toward compassion for others and cooperation with the God of the universe. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, if you do nothing as a result of this message, then you have wasted your time and I have wasted mine. Because if all you do is listen and go, yeah, it's pretty good, but, you know, i got to go back to work now, then you've just wasted your whole hour and mine too. But if you do something, then you can set a new course in your life. You can still be prosperous. You can still work. You can still achieve. But at the same time you're working and achieving and being prosperous, you're also feeding your soul and your mind and your heart and your family and your kids and your spirit. So... If you want to do something, let me help you begin. Last screen I'm going to give you. Three big words, admit, learn, take. Number one, admit, everybody wants a piece of you. But you're finite. Eventually, you're going to run out. You're going to run out. Your resources will run out. Which means you can't keep living as you're living. Hurry, rush, hurry, rush, hurry, rush. And what I've learned because I've lived this and it comes across hard for some of us who really likes to achieve, what happens is we give the best we have to everybody else and we give the cold, stale leftovers to the ones we say we love the most. Our kids, our spouses, our friends. Everybody else gets our creativity. Everybody else gets our energy. Everybody else gets our ideas. Everybody else gets our best. And then we drag ourselves home and we just give little morsels to those we say we love the most. You've got to admit you're finite. You can't keep giving. You have to replenish. You have to replenish. You have to replenish. Number two, learn. Learn how to use the most powerful word in the English language. No. No. It was so funny. I, I think it was Eddie Hyman at the end of the second, first service today. He, he's a volunteer in our church, serves in so many different areas. He told me, he said, you might not want to say this to all the volunteers. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. So all the volunteers need to exit at this moment, right? No. Hey, can you sign up for this? No. Hey, will you join? No. Hey, can I count on you to 
It's not that you're saying no because these things are important. It's that when you say no, you give yourself time, energy, and abilities to say yes to what really matters. I'm going to say no to that weekend activity because I'm going to say yes to this weekend activity with my family. I'm going to say no to that Friday night deal because I'm going to say yes to my spouse Friday night dates. I'm going to say no to borrowing more money here because I'm going to give more money over there. I'm going to say no so I can say yes. I'm going to say no so I can say It's all a trade-off. It's all a trade-off. The last one, take. I said this a few weeks ago. It bears repeating. Take control of your calendar or someone else will. Take control of your calendar or somebody else will. So I challenge you. This is your homework, okay? And then we're going to close. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive communion in just a moment. We're going to go. I challenge you this week, all right, to get into a room, turn off all electronic stimuli. No notebooks, no Bibles, no books, no eating, no drinking, nothing. Nothing. And sit quietly for 15 minutes. Oh, that's easy. Good. Go for it. I could do that. Great. No sleeping, no napping, no thinking while you're there about all the things you're going to do as soon as the 15 minutes are up. Hmm. Just nothing. Let your soul and body and mind catch up. Let the voices be heard. Sit with the monsters beside you. Face it. Do you have any idea how much higher our mental health would soar if we Sabbathed on a regular basis? Do you have any idea how much richer our relationships would be if we Sabbathed on a regular basis? How much more clearly we would hear God if we simply turned down the noise long enough to hear what our Father might say to us? How much more clearly? Space for healing, space for thinking, space for playing, space for celebrating, space for laughing, space for listening, no doing, no consuming, no producing, just rest, just resist, just Sabbath. You take it or leave it. That's our choice. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for challenging us today to just take a look at our schedule. Father, you are so for us being successful and prosperous and moving forward and building and creating. You are a creator. Look at what you created, how amazing it is. You're all for us building and doing great things. But in the middle of all that, we've got to figure out a rhythm of resting, of figuring out a rhythm of worship, figuring out a rhythm of gratitude and thanksgiving, figuring out a rhythm of investing in our family and friends and our own mental health and spiritual life. Teach us what that's like. Let this truth settle deep within us and set us free from the idea that we have to always be busy. We've got our identity wrapped up in it. God, separate our identity from all that stuff and may we find our identity in you. Amen.